All right. Good morning. Glad to be here. I tell you, I am so fired up. God has just put something in my heart out of Luke chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 4. We're going to be in verse 14 to 30. But before we get there, I just want to um, let you know a couple of things. One is, when we were singing that song, I'll fly away, oh glory. I'm like... Dude, I am so ready to go to heaven. I can not even wait to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And I hope that, you know, our worship team works hard at wanting so much to reach up to heaven and heaven reaching down to earth so that our soul is revived and, and rejuvenated and we are just cast a vision for who Jesus is and what he wants us to do. We are people that should be on fire for God. We are a church that should be real love on mission, doing that together, hopefully that the other people who are just lost like we were, man, we don't consider anybody better than anybody else. Everyone is loved by God. Everyone deserves an opportunity to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, today we're going to be talking about who you listen to matters. I hope you saw in the video, we're just in a series called Identity Theft. The enemy is going to try and steal away your identity or he'll try and shape an identity for you that matches the world. And we just got to be able to stand strong because we are believers in Jesus Christ that we want Jesus to shape our identity. I want to listen to his voice, but there are so many unfortunate voices that are competing for the voice of God. And sometimes it just takes discipline to listen to God, to shut off the world, to be in a place where I can hear God and sense his power, believe what God can do. And Lord, I believe so much that you are so great. You want to do something so big in the South County area that not one church, no pastor, no group of people could take credit, God, for what you want to do. You want to, I believe God, bring revival to your church. You want your people to be on fire when we live, breathe, act, do everything for Jesus Christ. And it comes from the heart. But that change, there's a cost. There is a cost to revival. I bet you if I ask everybody who wants revival, you know, stand up. Everybody who wants revival, come on, stand up. Amen. Now, go ahead and be seated. There's a cost to that. There is a cost. As we just sang that song, it requires us to surrender everything to Jesus. And I gotta be honest, sometimes I don't like that because I want some things in my life to stay the way they are. Some of those old habits, some of those ways that are comfort zones for me, some of my default mechanisms in my personality that are just kind of easy to skate through. God is saying, no, I want you to take the higher road. And that's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your pride, your ego. You got to lay it down, man. You got to not worry about what the world is saying and not worried about what the enemy is going to do. There's not one person in here this morning that hasn't received some type of rejection, right? We've all been rejected. And the ones that hurt the most are the ones that are closest to us. I'm so glad that we have a children's and youth ministry here at MVCC. We value so much what Jesus said when he said, let the little children come to me for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, we have these after-school daycare programs. We have a, a second campus where we have over 500 young people who are getting Christian education. I'm so glad that we, we have opportunity to reach young people. 
um, our youth pastor, um, I wanted him to come up here and just share with us a little bit about what's happening today in baptisms. We have a couple of baptisms right after second hour, but I want, um, Zach, would you just come up and tell us a little bit about, we are so concerned about the identity crisis that our young people are facing. Do you know that? Are you with me in that? We want so much for young people to have their identity found in Jesus Christ. And I'm glad we have someone like Pastor Zach, who's administrating a team of volunteers who are saying, you know, we care so much about young kids. We want them to get their identity from Christ. 70% of people who give their life to Jesus Christ, they say it's before the age of 18. That's why we value so much this current uh, crisis that's going on. And we just want to love kids in the name of Jesus. So tell us about these two uh, young people that are getting saved and getting uh, uh, their hearts, you know, all totally. the way in for Jesus. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, what's so exciting about today is, uh, man, when you're really in the trenches with students, it can be hard. Um, but there's moments like today where you're reminded of exactly what God's doing. So we have two boys, Adam and Alex, who are getting baptized today. And these are two kids who grown up in church, which can be a really awesome blessing. Or for a lot of students, that can actually be a really hard place to be in. When you're around Jesus and you're around Christianity so much growing up, that can sometimes be tough for students to really commit and go all in with Jesus. And so these are two boys who I got to really know over summer camp at Hume, um, really got to talk with them, hear their story, hear what God's doing in their heart, and really got to do what we get to do in student ministry, which is to tell students, hey, if this is what God is doing in your heart, this is what it looks like to take the next steps. This is what it looks like to commit your life to following Jesus. And so these are two boys who, man, have such pure, awesome hearts who are ready to say, you know what? I'm ready to make my faith my own. I'm ready to uniquely decide that I want to follow Jesus. Um, and I've even told one of the boys, I said, hey, you might even become a pastor one day by the things you're telling me. And so they're getting baptized today. They're making that public declaration. They're taking that next step. Um, and it's such just an encouraging, amazing, um, on-fire revival thing to see in our student ministry. So I'm really excited. Come and stick around. It's going to be after second service, and you can see that today. Cool. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Zach. Yeah. Thanks, brother. So Pastor Zach's uh, obviously on our team. He's going to be preaching next month. If you haven't heard him speak, he's good. Lots of energy, talks fast. You got to make sure you're ready to hear uh, his message. So um, yeah, thank you, man. Thank you so much for what you're doing in our youth department. Love it. Who we listen to when we get rejected, it really does matter, doesn't it? Um, when uh, a few years ago, uh, we took our pastoral team up to the mountains for just like a three-day retreat. And uh, through that retreat process, you know, even Jesus got away from the crowds to hear the voice of God, to uh, just be alone with God. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, it says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. We all need to have like a place with God, you know, whether it's down at the beach or a closet or a special place. It's just no distractions. And so we took these guys up to the mountains. There was about six of us on our team. And so... Um, I told the guys when we came, now we're going to be praying, we're going to be, you know, in the word, and we're going to be vision casting once again and talking about what we believe God wants to do and how we disseminate that vision uh, to the people at MVCC. So we were doing all that. And one of the things I asked them to do was, hey, bring up your favorite, like, hobbies, things that you like to do, like, up in the mountains. So uh, fishing, um, some guys brought uh, just some uh, books to read. You know, I wasn't one of those. I'm like a heavy reader. But, um, and so uh, one of the things we were doing as we were down at the lake fishing, one of our pastors um, went back up to his, his car and he uh, brought one of these out. Can I just tell you, holding this thing, this compound bow, I feel like 
power, you know? It's so cool. So he's, he's shooting these arrows, setting up targets, and we're all kind of down to fish. We dropped our poles, five of us, and we walked over and said, dude, can you teach us how to use one of these things? It is so cool. And it's just so powerful. It's so cool. So um, he's showing us how to line it up, how to shoot the bow and arrow. And it just, it's, just, it's just fun. One of the things that I noticed about this particular compound uh, bow is that in order for me to shoot that arrow, if I had an arrow right here, we don't want to do this because it could be quite dangerous, but I'm pushing with my left arm. I am pushing out. And I feel like, you know, sometimes when we get rejected, there's someone who's pushing against us, pushing you out of their realm of relationship, and they've pushed you out. But at the same time, what I don't see is this pulling in the back. And once I get to a certain place of pulling, it's so much easier. When someone is pushing you, God might be pulling something in your life to make you more like Jesus. Does that make sense? I got to tell you, I don't like being rejected. I don't wake up in the morning and go, God, I can't wait to be rejected today. I just, that's not my nature. I just want to love people. You know, I'm not a fighter, but I mean, I'll fight. If you push me, I'll fight. But I'm not by nature, if I'm not looking for a fight. I want to love people. So when I get rejected, I'm like, this is so cool. Lord, what are you going to do out of this? My first reaction is, oh my gosh, this hurts so much. Or I just, sometimes I want to fight back. And I don't think about the fact that God might be allowing that rejection. And the question he's asking me is, who you, Mike, who are you going to listen to? I'm pulling while they're pushing so that you can hear my voice and learn to be more like my son, Jesus. I just, I just like this because <laughs> it just reminds me that there's a God who is unseen, the book of Hebrews tells us, who is still working in my life and in your life. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 4 because Jesus is experiencing here, I believe, this pushing and yet the pulling in his life, the tension and the conflict. As Jesus goes back to his hometown, I just want you to see this background for a minute here and then we're going to read the text. Jesus invites, um, the other gospel said he actually invites his 12 disciples. He has just chosen his 12 disciples. Remember, Jesus was baptized. We looked at that two weeks ago. Then the Holy Spirit took Jesus and led him into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days. Remember that? We Hopefully we got some grounding in the word about what do we do when we are tempted? How can we be overcomers? We talked about that and how the word gives us this instruction. Now, Jesus gathers his 12 and says, hey guys, I want you to come with me. We're going back to my hometown. I don't think it was a field trip. There was a specific reason why Jesus wanted to go back to the little town of Nazareth. I just want you to take a quick look here at what Nazareth looked like. Um, This is the Oh, little town of Bethlehem. This isn't Bethlehem, but this is Nazareth. Nazareth was a quaint little town. Back in the day, there was probably, commentators think that there was maybe 500 people in this little village. It wasn't very big. Today, there's 78,000 people that live in Nazareth. But kind of going back to his hometown, I was thinking about that. 
that when uh, I married my wife, we uh, talked off obviously a lot about life and our past and where we came from and what was our favorite place to live. And my, I asked my wife, so what did you love the most about your childhood? She says, I loved living in a little town called Kimball, Nebraska. You don't even know where that is. We never heard of Kimball, Nebraska. It's so little, like if you drove through the town, you would miss it. There's like one water tower, there's a pizza hut, and then there's a Dairy Queen, and the streets are really wide, and everybody knows everybody's business. There's only like 2,000 people who live in this town. I've never even been in a town like that. I was raised here, lived in Hawaii, you know, six years. So all I know is like Mission Vale's like 98,000 people. I don't know these little towns. So she took us there to Kimball, Nebraska. There's a bowling alley called the Kim Bowl. That's how crazy it is. As, we're, as we are you know, going through this town, we stayed at her grandma's place, these little houses. But you know what I love about these little towns? The pace of life is a little slower. We went into the drugstore to get some stuff. You know, they still call them drugstores there. We went in to get you know, some chips and salsa and just snacks and stuff. And they actually stop. The clerk stops and talks to you. Asked you questions about, oh, it's so good. You're from California? I mean, it's just, it's just a quaint place. Nazareth was kind of like that. It was a small village, but there was one problem that Nazareth had, is that the religious people had a stronghold over that small town, and they knew who Jesus was. Jesus grew up there. He was in the carpenter shop. His father, earthly father, taught him the ways of carpentry. By the way, can I just say, I think if Jesus physically were to materialize here in this moment, which would be awesome, Jesus, I believe, was strong. I believe he was physically strong. I think sometimes the, the, the Jesus films, you know, back in the day, do a disservice. The fact that Jesus, I think, was strong and mighty. It wasn't like he was just sitting, you know, in some little whittle shop and just whittling some wood. He was building boats and homes and large pieces of lumber. I think... I think that's, in my mind, that's how I picture Jesus. And he goes back to this town, and I want to read this text. Stay with me, because it's a little lengthy, but I just, I want us to pour into this and then extract out of it, God, what do you have for us, and how can we handle rejection, and how do I hear your voice in the middle of being rejected? Jesus was rejected big time here, so let's, let's read this together. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Just want you to see this. Jesus is back in town. Woo, let's set it up. Let's have a party. Jesus is back. Then we went to Nazareth where he had been brought up on the Sabbath day. He went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, by the way, this is from Isaiah 61, was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue, watch this now, were fastened to him. And he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But wait a minute. 
isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assured you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, that when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was, no severe, there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue, watch this now, watch the shift. Jesus, he's in town, he's, he's a prophet, he is, he, he, he's the rabbi, give him the scrolls, let him read the text. Now it says all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Isn't it interesting how fast people can shift? They can turn on you like a dime or on a dime. And they got up, drove him out of the town, took him. I, I, I gotta be, I don't understand this. There, there must have been some, so much anger and so much fury at this moment. Took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This text right here is so important for us to understand how we deal with rejection and who am I going to listen to? If there's one person that could have justified lashing back, calling down a hundred million angels, it would have been Jesus Christ at this moment, rejected by the very people that had helped raise him. You know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. I like to change that. It takes a church to raise a child. I believe that. Many of you have helped my wife and I, Laura, raise our boys so that when they are of age, they can make a decision for Jesus Christ. We can't do that on our own. We need a community of people. Jesus grew up in this atmosphere. Did you notice it says, as his, was his custom on the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue. That was in their day, according to the law, that was their community gathering for faith. That was their church service. That was somewhere where they were taught the word and then they would hopefully go live the word. It was normal practice for Jesus to do this. This is a messianic passage right here. It is a prophetic group of words that were written down 700 years before Jesus was even born by the prophet Isaiah. But this, this can't be the Messiah. This is the carpenter. I, I, I just want to draw our attention to hopefully what is obvious, but I don't want to skip over it. And number one in your points, I hope you're writing things down. If you're taking some notes, Jesus is the son of God. And yet he was rejected. So the next time I get inside myself and oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. How could they turn on me? How could we lose friends? How, what, 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 what happened? How come, how come sometimes church people can be, not any of you, can be so mean, can be so vicious, can turn like you are the spawn of Satan himself. It, I, 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 I don't understand that. If they turned on Jesus, in fact, Jesus even said, they're going to hate you. They hated me. They're going to hate you. And I need to remember, it's so important. In John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. 
Jesus is more than a prophet. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a good person. He is God in flesh. How do you know that? John 1, 1 through 4, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And if you go down to verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. That is so important. Every single one of us here today that believe in Jesus Christ, we need to have that memorized. We at least need to know where to go when we get a knock on the door and that's our Mormon friends or Jehovah's Witnesses friends. We don't want to fight. We just want to help them see truth. Just like when we were lost, somebody showed us the truth. Jesus is more than just a person. He is God in flesh. And that's what ticked off these religious leaders when he was in his very hometown, Nazareth, reading the very scrolls of Isaiah. I am God's son, really is what he's saying. Now I have a question. I, I hope maybe these questions have come up in your mind. Why? Why would they reject him? They obviously must have seen something different. If he was raised in Nazareth, they saw his life. They saw a pattern of how he walked, how he lived. There was something different about Jesus. Why couldn't they just take an honest look at maybe, maybe this is the one that we have been told for generation after generation after generation that the Messiah would come and save, first of all, the Jew and then the Gentile, everybody, the whole world, all of humanity can be saved. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one we remember laying down in the ling-tos out in the middle of the fields during the, 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 the Pentecost feast and remembering that grandpa and grandma told us the stories from the Old Testament, the Torah, that one day the Messiah would come and we're waiting for him. That's why we have all these feasts and celebrations and the Jewish festivals because we are celebrating God's faithfulness and one day he's gonna bring his son. This is him. This is Jesus. I don't know. The only thing that I could come up with, maybe you got a better idea than me. I'd love to hear it after service. They were so stinking prideful. Pride will kill a revival. Pride will kill the spirit of God moving over somebody's life. You cannot come to God with pride and ego. He requires us to humble ourselves. I'm so glad that God doesn't look for ability-stricken people, but he's looking for people who are simply available. He just looks for an available heart. I think the other reason, not only ego and pride, they started to see people flocking to Jesus, wanting to be around him. And so they're, wait a minute, this is our jurisdiction. We have this city, we have this town to ourselves. This is our religious quorum. We, we know what we're doing. We don't want Jesus here. I think the other reason is maybe Jesus was too familiar for them to step back and look Maybe he is the promised one. Isn't that true in our life that sometimes we can become so familiar with something or someone that it loses its luster, it loses its enthusiasm? I mean, marriage can be that way. And we become so familiar in marriage, we just kind of ho-hum and just kind of do the routine things. But guys, can I just tell you, because the Lord told us we're the leaders of our families, and if you're married right now, I just want to encourage you, you got to work at making that marriage exciting and fireful and passionate and all those things that we all want in marriage. 
And if you're single today, thinking about being married, don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. Please do it, but know this. Prepare yourself. I think often we're looking for the right one, where God might be saying, wait a minute, I'm trying to make you to be the right one so you can bless the right one that I'll bring in your life. It takes work. It takes intention. Because it can become so familiar that marriage just becomes boring sometimes and we become roommates. I think it was really clear here through the text that Nazareth was resistant to Jesus because in your notes there, I hope you're writing these down, Nazareth was resistant because of their pride and ego. But the encouraging thing is, I don't know if you saw that in the text that we just read, Capernaum was responsive to Jesus. Interesting to note that Jesus did more miracles in Capernaum, in that area, than any other place. And I believe it was because the people believed in him. They had faith. It wasn't because they had it all together. It wasn't because they were this vast religious people. They went to church every Sunday. They said everything right. They did everything right. It was simply because they recognized their desperation for God. God, we need you. Jesus, can you heal my little boy? Jesus, can you fix my relationship? Jesus, can you give us, just give a word? And this demonic spirit that's been running our family, can you deliver this thing? Jesus, help us. Help us, God, because there was faith in just asking. Jesus did all these miracles. I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters here at MVCC, I don't know if you were here at the last prayer night, Tuesday night. We have these every month. I can't wait for the next one because I just believe every spiritual deposit we make in prayer, God is saying, there's a church that I can use. Here's one that I'm going to perform the supernatural. I'm going to bring my power. I'm going to put my power on display through my people because I want to draw all people unto my name. And he's looking for a church. He's looking for a husband. He's looking for a wife. He's looking for a child. He's looking for somebody with faith. Don't look at what man sees. Listen to what God is saying. Believe that God can do something so great that no person can get credit for it. I, I, Jesus wants so much for the people that he's talking to in the synagogue to understand this. He brings up an illustration. I, I hope... The illustrations that our pastors use when we teach are simply windows for you to look through that window and go, okay, now I got it. The, the, the purpose of the story and the parable is not to glorify the story. It's just a window to see through. So the whole bow and arrow thing, I was thinking about that as I was going back to that. Now I get it, this tension of this rejection, yet God is pulling something in my life as he's allowing this pushing so that he can bring about his purpose in my life. Elijah and Elijah were two prophets in the Old Testament. Man, if you want to read about some guys who took opposition and rejection and they handled it somewhat Godly. I mean, Elijah was there with prophets. He called down fire from heaven. It's an incredible scene on Mount Carmel. And he came down from the mountain after being in the presence and the power of God. And God used him in such a powerful way. The Bible tells us that as he came down from the mountain, the next day, there was one woman named Jezebel who said, I'm going to kill you. You've destroyed all of our prophets. All of our money is gone because you got rid of all these false prophets. I am going to take you out. I am going to grind you. I am going to kill you in the name of God. The Bible says he didn't stand up there and say, in the name of God, you'll never do that to me. He ran. <laughs> One woman caused him to run. A prophet of God who saw all these prophets, false prophets fall. What I'm saying to you is this. There is, I understand this. I'm sure just as much as you do. Rejection is real. And sometimes it hurts. 
And sometimes it steals our joy. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes it can be in the forefront of my lobe and I can't get it off of there. And sometimes it drives my day and I can't get the thoughts out. Right? Elijah and Elijah understand. That's the illustration that Jesus gives because he was talking to Jewish people. As soon as he said Elijah and as soon as he said Elisha, their ears perked up. Elijah was announcing that there was a drought there was a re- as a result of a great famine in the land for three years. You might know the story. And it was hard on the widows because they didn't have food and didn't have water. So he helped out one Gentile widow, Elijah did. And for that, he was claimed a racist and there was division and he was rejected because he obeyed the word of God. Elisha was a similar story about Naaman who had leprosy, that he asked him to go into the river, dip down, and God will heal you. And at first he didn't do it, but he humbled himself, Naaman did. But even through that, the prophet was rejected. Don't be surprised if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you're gonna be rejected. You, you just will. So question again, who will we listen to when we're feeling Trapped when we feel like there's a sense of loss. You've raised your kid. You've raised your child to love and serve and to know a God that loves them and gives them a new identity and tells them that they are special, that they are chosen of God, that they have a place in this world to serve and love God. And even though life won't be easy, we took our kids to church. We read the Bible stories to them. We prayed over them. I remember we even had people come from our fellowship, our life group, and pray over our kids while they were, it, it, it was an incredible moment. And now this kid hates my guts and doesn't want anything to do with church. Not only the pain of watching a child, I don't know if this is resonating with any of us here, but even the pain of a child leaving God, I don't want anything to do with your God and I hate church and I'm never coming back. That pain is a parent of being rejected. Your heart is engaged with that child. I, I, we were talking the other day in our men's life group Bible study about how, you know, when you have your firstborn, there is nothing like it. It's, it's hard to put into words when you're holding this little, this little one that's so so vulnerable and so precious and so small and, 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 and just upon your every need. There's nothing that just, you can't even put into words how much you love them. That's, magnify that 10 gazillion times and that's how much God loves you. He loves you with an undying love. It's, it's hard even to put into words the unconditional love. I know we have words like agape love and unconditional love and no strings attached, but that doesn't do justice to the immense power that God loves you. And he's gone to the greatest length of sending his son, Jesus, to die on a cross. It was the only way this problem could be fixed, the problem of sin and separation from God. That's why this passage is absolutely monumental in the life, your life as a believer in Jesus, because he is establishing, I am God. And we need to know that. We don't want to hem-haw around the truth. Ever had a close friendship? Close. Close is, is, is family. And then something happened along the way and you've been rejected. I, I wonder if, here's something I was asking myself. I know it was pride and ego that the Nazareth people didn't believe in Jesus, but here's, here's what I was also wondering. Was it just because the town, was there something in the town? Was there something about Jesus? Or 
Could it have been for some of those people, watch this now, stay with me, who didn't believe that he was the Messiah, maybe because they were projecting how they felt about themselves. I don't know, maybe. Have you found that the more you love somebody, they can't receive it or can't love you back? In fact, the more that you love certain people, they push back even harder? It might be, it's not you. There's something here that happened or is happening. They are having difficulty receiving love and giving love back. And therefore, their mechanism and default position is to push back. But all the while, that might be happening to you. I want you to be encouraged. God is pulling something in your life to bring about the purpose of Jesus. So, what do we do out of all this? If you have your, your notes, I just, I just want to go to the action because this is where it really all matters here. What are we going to do as a result of, I understand this prophetic passage. I get it. This is Jesus, the son of God. He's proclaiming that he is now God in flesh here in this moment and he's come to save the world from their sins. I understand that. But still, you know what, Mike? It hurts. This rejection 22 years ago, it still hurts. What do I do? Might have been relationship, might have been you're rejected because you're Christian. You're rejected because you're one of those church people. You're rejected because you identify with Jesus. Be careful who you hang with, right? Once you start hanging with somebody, all of a sudden the divisions will start. And as soon as I gave my life to Jesus Christ, the next day I went to Capo High School, accepted Jesus on a Wednesday, told my friends on the tennis team who I hung out with like for 10 years. Thought that was a lifetime during that time. And I remember like on that Thursday, they started backing up after I told them, you guys aren't gonna believe what happened to me, man. I met this guy, he's the most incredible guy I've ever met. He's completely lifted the burdens off my shoulders. Guilt and shame and all that stuff. Sins that remember we did. Remember that when we stole that car and we were messing around and doing that bad stuff? Jesus forgave, as soon as I said Jesus, literally they started backing up. That was hard. That was hard. These are guys that I hung with. These are guys that we messed around with. These, these, were, these were supposed to be like a band of brothers for tennis, you know? But little did I know that that superficial stuff, it doesn't satisfy the craving of the human heart. So, so what do we do as a result of this? Number one, I hope this is helpful help, to recognize that sometimes it may not be you that people are rejecting. I, I have to, I'm preaching to myself. I am preaching to myself today. Don't take it so personal, Pastor Mike. When somebody, you're the worst pastor in the world. Your messages stink. And the emails that I get, we're going to another church down the street. Don't take it personal, which I do so much. It might be that God has moved them on. God has lots of furniture in the house. <laughs> Jesus has lots of rooms. Didn't he say in John 14, I have many rooms in my house. I don't think that was just heaven. I think a little bit of heaven on earth. I got lots of churches. I'm doing a lot of good things through a lot of pastors and yours isn't the only one. <gasps> Do you see where my world is sometimes? You see? And so it might, 
be that God has moved them on for a purpose. God is pulling. Come on, see that with me. Even though there's a pushing, there's a pulling. He may move somebody over to Saddleback Church because there's something that they need that one of our best people here, and they're just serving and loving God and they're totally involved and we're discipling them and we think we're going to heaven together on the way up, you know, through the rapture. We're going to be holding on to one another. It ain't going to happen that way. It's okay. It's okay. Recognize the road, number two, to your resurrection, your resurrection life. How many here want the power of the resurrected life? Sometimes, oh, I tell you what, these, I don't like these action points. I don't like them, but I know they're good for me. Recognize that that life is paved with rejection. I think about Jesus walking up the Via Della Rosa, carrying the cross, bloodied and battered and beaten and tortured and crown of thorns on his head. And there's that moment, you carry his cross because Jesus was so exhausted at that moment, screaming and yelling at the son of God. The very people that he came to die for are in rejection that he is who he said he was. I just, I wanted to stop by this morning and remind us that Jesus understands he knows he hasn't left you. He cares through the hurt that you feel through rejection. I think um, the third thing that has been helping me is pray for those who reject you. That they might receive, watch this now, every blessing you want in your life. I want to give you a 30-day challenge. The person who's rejected you the most in your life, this might be even 50 years ago for some of us. This might have been yesterday. I want to ask you in your prayer journal, 30 days I'm going to pray for that. Lord, get them. Bring fire from heaven. Not that prayer. I'm talking about everything you want in your life. What do you want to happen in your life? God, I want love, joy, peace. Lord, all those things. Contentment. Lord, help. Pray everything you want for your life. If it's God, build on my 401k. I want to have retirement years. I want to stay healthy. Pray that for them. Something will happen here. The rejection level will go from a nine to maybe a three. And the last one is, oh, that's why I love this song, Devin and Mary Led Us. Didn't they do a great job today? Didn't they do so good? I got to rejoice that my name, your name is written down in the book of life. That Jesus said that in John chapter 10, verse 20. Don't rejoice that the demon's subject to you. Don't rejoice that you can cast out this and heal that and do that. Rejoice that your name is written down in heaven, man. So those four things help me. It doesn't keep the rejection away. It doesn't, it, it doesn't make it easier. It just makes it so I can see the big picture that while there's this pushing, there's a pulling. So God, I thank you so much for reminding all of us here today. Your word is so powerful. I love your word. I love that God, you are reminding us it does matter who we're listening to. Our, our own identity, God found in you, Jesus. So thankful that you didn't reject us because of our sin. I want to thank you, Jesus, that in that moment, come to me, all that are heavy, all that are tired, all that are stressed out, all that are trying to do life on your own. I want you to come to me. Let me help you. 
Jesus, I'm so grateful for your gentleness, your kindness, your tenderness, that you would call each one of us God. I understand, Jesus, why you decided to not do miracles in Nazareth. Not because the people were bad, but because they simply didn't believe. God, I pray you would find favor. Oh God, oh God, oh God, I pray you'd find favor on Missionville Christian Church, Lord. You would display your power, as I know you are, that even in greater ways, God, that we handle rejection the way you did, Jesus. God, if there's anyone here today that just give my life to Jesus Christ now, just want to receive him, and knowing that he loves me, I want to go to heaven when I die. I, I want to have peace on this earth. I pray right now for you. Just say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I accept you now. I receive you now. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross. I receive you now into my life, God. I believe that you died on a cross and rose again. And Lord, help me now to live, follow you each day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning when we just, you know, we really want to facilitate a service that helps you to connect with God. And so these communion elements that are right in front of your seat back chair, I just want to ask you to take a quiet moment here just to reflect on what God has spoken to you. If it's right now, the cross, his love, and want to give you opportunity to meditate on that. What does that mean for me in my life? If it's, yeah, God, you know what? I got a lot of hurt packed away, stuffed it down of rejection in my life. And I just want to release that to you. Thank you for the victory of the cross. You do whatever Jesus is calling you to do here, but we just want you to have this time with him. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.